Hi, you're listening to Hearth and Soul. I'm your host, Angela torres Cuckoon. I'm the head chef and food manager at Spoken, a cafe in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. I'm also a professional singer and a core member and the director of operations for Forte Chicago, Chicago's only all-female opera improv and sketch comedy troupe. I'm a self-labeled foodie, a food nerd, and a history buff. I love nothing more than to nerd out about food. But enough about me. Hearth and Soul is a podcast that strives to explore nourishment, how we feed our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We cover a wide range of topics, including the everyday mundane and the celebratory. We believe that food is the one thing that connects us to each other, no matter what. So welcome to the table. Hello, you are listening to episode four of season two. So uh, I decided to try something a little different, a little new. And if this is successful, which I think it will be, um, I'm going to try and do one of these every season from now on. And that is interviewing a person who feeds my soul. So, you know, we're all about nourishment here at Hearth and Soul, and that can mean a variety of different things. It can mean what you put in your body, what you put on your body, how you treat your yourself mentally. And and that includes the people you surround yourself with. A lot of um, a lot of your mood and energy can come from the people that are around you all the time. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I started talking to people that really bring my energy up every time I see them? So I don't have any any housekeeping or weird updates to do beforehand. We're just going to jump right in and I'm going to interview the lovely Spence Warren. Yo, yo, yo. Spence is one of my buddies from, oh my gosh, I don't even remember exactly how we met. It's been a few years. It's been a while. We met on a project. We met on a project. That's right. Through a mutual friend. Through a mutual friend. Um... And we've done a, f- a few projects together we've since then, a handful of projects. Um, and every single experience has just been so much fun. And Spence is a delight to talk to. Oh, goodness. So that's why that's why you're here, because we'll you are a that. delight to talk to. <laughs> um, so basically, my idea behind this is just that, like, people with your kind of energy, I- I'm trying to, like, get to what makes those people tick what Mm. makes those people special and why is it that we want to surround ourselves with people like you so if if i feel like if i find somebody for each season that i do it can sort of give our audience a good example so to speak of the kind of people that like you want to surround yourself with people that make you feel good right as opposed to people that don't make you feel good and sometimes i think it's hard for people to find to to realize that they're surrounding themselves with negative energy yeah. when they could actively seek out the opposite. To know the difference. Exactly, exactly. Because yeah. sometimes you're just you don't you don't see it, you feel it, but you don't see it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So basically, we're just gonna get to know you. Um, and I heard uh, on another podcast. Actually, I'm sort of stealing this. Um, that uh, he would he like to start his interviews by saying tell us your superhuman origin story (laughs) (laughs) my superhero origin story so basically like you know where are you from i was a nerdy young man (laughs) chasing a dream with a mop and then i got knocked into a vat of toxic waste where i was (laughs) 
turned into a hideously deformed creature of superhuman <laughs> size and strength. There's like a very, very small section, I suspect, of your audience that will get that That reference. will get that, I'm sure. I'm All sure. All two of you, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I... I really want to first say that I'm really impressed with the kind of like vibe that's happening right now for, you know, I am also a listener of the show. I, I enjoy Yay. it. Um, I, I clean my house to it and <laughs> hang out and hear the mellifluous uh, dulcet tones of Angela, the notorious <laughs> ATK. What? What? Um, and <laughs> right now, to give you a visual, she is flanked by bookshelves <laughs> and sitting on what I can only describe as like an antique throne. It kind of is, um, right? So, so yeah. That that visual. <laughs> if you already have been enjoying the show, you now have that uh, to accompany the sounds. But. It's my own um, personal Game of Thrones. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> I, so I don't know. I Where did I come from? I was born in Baltimore and I was raised partially on the northwest side of Philadelphia and partially here on the south side of Chicago. Um, I... My dad was a single dad uh, for a considerable portion of my youth. Um mm. From when I was two to when I was like 13, 14, he married my stepmother. Um, And from that, you know, we became a much smaller and much blacker Brady Bunch kind of situation. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, so he was a cabbie in Philly. um, And so... One of the, uh, you know, because I've been trying to think about, like, things in my life experience Mm -hmm. that led me to feel the way that I, things that I've kept with me. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a good way to describe it. So, you know, my dad was a cabbie in Philly, and uh, so he spent, I spent a lot of time in the cab, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I was small enough in the front seat of the cab, driving Mm -hmm. around, um, he would talk to me about all sorts of things and show me things, and, you know, once in a while we would fish in the Schuylkill River or something. <laughs> and, you know, it was just a whole, uh, it was a very wholesome upbringing as, as much as as one can be in the inner city in Philadelphia. In the sure. 90s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and he was like, he was there constantly. Like on, on Sundays, that was his day to sleep. Uh-huh. Um, like all day long. And I hated it because I wanted to play. I wanted to right. Play. I was playing. I would, you know. Um, but he wasn't having that. Why? Because he was a cabbie. He was also like involved in my school. Like wow, okay. he was like the school PTA or whatever it was sure. president or something like that. Which okay. He was fucking always there. And I hated <laughs> that because I, mean, I couldn't get away with anything. But looking <laughs> back, it's like, man, he was so present for like everything all the time. Like damn so from that um piece of spence number one if you like yeah yeah um is like this idea that love is this all encompassing kind of samurai like thing like it's like a disciplined thing that you that you uh that you administer 
um, with as much earnest as possible because, well, simply because you must, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so there was never any point at which I felt doubt that my dad was there mm-hmm. or that he loved me or that I was the most important thing in his life. So passing that along to the people that I love, uh, as a result of that, I think became an innate quality. Right. That makes Um, a lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, so, so, so then things happened and stuff (laughs) as well. Um, and then I got to Chicago. Um, we drove to Chicago in a conversion van. Thank you very much. Ooh. at, at the beginning of that journey from Philadelphia to uh, to Chicago, um, the plan was to go to Atlanta, but stop in Chicago first. Those who know your geography realize that that doesn't quite work on the map, but <laughs> not uh, quite. That's all right. That's 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 how I think that my dad's plan was to like fall in love and get married here, and if that didn't work out, then we would go to Atlanta. But it oh, worked out. Okay, he had a good Great. plan. See, so you know. Can't f- don't hate the player. He hate the game. Told the universe so what he wanted. He and told the universe what he wanted. There and you literally go. manifested it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so um, we traveled here in a conversion van, um, and then um, you know him and my uh, he knew my stepmother beforehand. Like they you know knew okay. each other back in the day, and. Um, you know, so this wasn't like a who knows what will happen thing. This was like a I think sure. this might happen. And okay. So so they got married and we became a family. And in that, there's this like kind of what's the word I'm looking for here? You know that thing when you travel, like when you don't necessarily have roots in the place that you live, and then you move somewhere else. Mm. You know. Uh, people who move around a lot, army brats in particular, I imagine, really understand this kind of thing. It's a sort of nomadic kind of feeling. There's a sort feeling. of nomadic kind of feeling. Now, I didn't move every other month or anything like that, nothing mm-hmm. crazy that way, but there was this sense that I hadn't quite learned, I hadn't quite be- identified as a Philadelphian before we met Philadelphia. Left Philadelphia. Okay. I certainly didn't identify as a Baltimorean before I left there, <laughs> being two and all. Right, right. And then, um, and so now I live in Chicago. I've lived here for like math years. 1993 <laughs> um, is when I got here, right? So I've been here for a while. Right. And A good chunk of time. A, a pretty a good, good chunk of time. Thick chunk of time. Yeah. And when people say like, oh, you're a Chicago. And it's like, I mean, I guess, but I don't necessarily feel like this is home. But somewhere along the line, that didn't matter. Okay. So I guess thing number two that comes out of all of that is um and i'm totally going off the top right here freestyle um do it (laughs) but like the thing that comes out of that is like so you know we live in philadelphia and then we moved to a hotel we lived there for a year how did that work i have no idea i still never asked my dad about how how we made that work and i keep forgetting like next time i see my dad i'm gonna ask how did we do that how did that work but anyway, so we lived in a hotel for for like a year, um, and then we came here and put down roots. And you know, he got into 
security systems and okay. came and my stepmother was a teacher so we had this like idyllic blue collar lifestyle you know yeah husband wife two kids right. situation <laughs> you know um but through those moves through those maneuvers it was like you know where home is doesn't matter so much you know um what matters is what you do with the space that you're in and the mm-hmm. time that you have there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the people help too, of course. Of course. But sometimes you don't have the people. Yeah. Sometimes the people are busy. Right. You know, doesn't mean that they don't love you or that they can't provide for you or whatever, but sometimes the people aren't there. So it's just a matter of what you do with the space that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that I have, uh, uh, in a very abstract way, well, abstract is not the right word, in a subconscious way, uh. um, have always applied, uh, I think, in my life. I remember my mom telling me that, you know, they they tried some part of that method with your kids where, like, when you know that they're not crying because they're hungry or need to be changed, you just let them cry it cry out. Cry it out. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Every parent who tried that in the 80s, which is quite a few, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of a trending Probably most of them. approach, <laughs> you know, um, to like modern parenting yeah. of, of the day. Uh, you know, as many of those parents will attest, she you know, described it was very difficult, but eventually I just sort of stopped and she described like walking in and seeing me just like kind of entertaining myself mm. somehow, some way. Um, and... I never forgot that because it was like, yo, I do that. That's that's kind of my thing, you know. Um, so thing number two, that. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, finally, thing number three. Uh, I don't know if <laughs> finally is the right word. Whatever. Um, <laughs> probably not. We'll probably get into more things we'll probably get into later more things as, as, we, we, go, as we go. But that's fine. Right? Whatever. I don't In know. this chunk of... In, in this Whatever. particular chunk, because threes are good. The threes rule are great. Of threes. The rule of three. If you were dead now, it, it would work. If I was dead right now, oh man, what would it be like? I don't even want to know. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. Angela's so sweet. <laughs> um, so, I only speak truth. Well, I love the idea of this being like a podcast where you talk to, like, we're all dead. Ooh. Yeah. Whoa. Ooh. Whoa. We were ghosts the whole time. We were the whole ghosts time. the whole time. Yeah. Ooh, that's some high concept shit. That's man. some crazy Whoa. Nicole Kidman. Had to jump in without a mic for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna go back and listen to this and be like, "What the?" F-? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just love that as the idea of like you do like a podcast. It's like a set amount of time. Yeah. And then it goes off the air, and then you reveal that all of the people who were on it and all of the people who were doing it are now dead. Are now dead. You know. That's crazy. That's That's like some crazy time capsule shit. Right? That could be cool. Of a kind that we can only do right now. Right now. Right now. So. Thing number three. Thing number three. I was (laughs) at, um, and and I guess thing number three is is sort of a two-parter, but, you know, they link in this sense. Community TV Network is an organization in Chicago that has been here since 1978, I want to say. Wow. And any Community TV Network uh, listeners who are listening, if you, if I got that date wrong, I'm so sorry. But I think it's like 1978. <laughs> Around there. Late 70s. Okay. 
to be safe. Um, and they have been, what they do is they teach media literacy to teenagers and kids and then arm those kids with cameras and editing equipment oh. and know-how to go out and effectively make counteractive propaganda. The voices and visions of Chicago's youth. That's the motto of their TV show that's also been on the air since, I want to say, the late 70s called Hardcover, right? Okay. So, um, and it's still on cable access, can TV, right? So, like, they, when I was there in high school, um, or let me let me go back to go forward. Sankofa, I'll look back to move forward. <laughs> um, I, th- my high school had an internship program, and in year number two of me being of four, uh, I was at a place called the Anti Cruelty Society, which is still there. Okay, um, doing stuff with animals, hanging out, being groovy. Cool. One day. CTVN, which is another one of the in- internships, uh-huh. came to that site to like do um, interviews, like site interviews, you know. Sure. Um, and after my interview, one of the one of the ladies there, Suri was her name, um, and I'm not going to say her last name because I have n- no real sense of how to say it. And I don't want to butcher it. Totally um, fair. <laughs> but she's a wonderful person, and her name and her first name is Suri. Her last name begins with an N. Um, <laughs> and um, she came up to me, um, and she said she said that I give a great interview to 16 year old me i believe that 15 year old me (laughs) and i was just like i had stars in my eyes like wow i give a great interview that's wow (laughs) so i guess that's a thing that i do that's a thing I, i can do that thing that's cool i should do more of it you know, so it really stuck with me, right? So right. when the next year came around and it was time to choose internships, um, I chose CTVN and thought, put this giving good interview thing to test. You know, <laughs> I was a really shy kid at the time, right? So the idea that I that I speak well, right, was like, yeah, yeah, right, cool. I get that. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, <laughs> growth is happening i'm leveling up <laughs> dungeons and dragon style it's cool yes. i didn't even know what dungeons and dragon was at the time but um <laughs> so uh, we did these things at community tv network called vox pops which um it's it's latin i think voice of the people you mm-hmm. go out and you hey sir can you tell me a little bit about magic and sure you know, okay stick a microphone in their face so this is a bunch of teenagers running around with with like a VHS camera through the streets of Wicker Park <laughs> in the mid '90s. At this point, like stopping people, you know, mostly yuppies at the time. You know, <laughs> I'm like, hey, sir, ma'am, whatever, can you answer this question about this thing? We got like three questions for you. Sure. So that's like a really like harrowing thing to do yeah. stop strangers stick a camera in their face and ask some questions Ab- on the microphone absolutely like you know and for sh- for shy me at the time it's like ooh, this is gonna be but if i want to do this i mean i am a good interviewer after all right i could be a good interviewer yes. too right like i could really do this if i just get over this you know shyness thing or whatever i don't think that any of that was conscious mind you it was right right it right was all very intuitive but it's just like you know, trying to reverse engineer what my thoughts were. It's like, if I want to do this, I have to do this. So I did that, you know, and I took the leap and um, 
when I look back at myself in the uh, in the years that would uh, go forward from there, um, something that occurred to me or occurs often to me is that like that's kind of the moment you mm. know, that led to me becoming a a person of of some confidence. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, in what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, my ability to relate to people, my ability to be gregarious, my desire to be gregarious was always there, but I didn't really have any ability to to, to use it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I that changed me quite a bit, um, and so it was a very profound experience in that. Right. So. Um, th- you know, I guess that's technically sort of thing three because this other thing is kind of different. Okay. But it happened in the same place. So um, flash forward to like three years later, now I'm out of high school, I'm still at Community TV Network. I'm like now kind of helping and, you know, doing other things sure. there. Um, like you do in an organization when you come up as, as, a, as a little one. In right, right. So, you know, there was an organizer who came to talk to us about like community organizing and stuff. Um, he didn't know me very well okay. um, at the time. We're very good friends now, but at the time he didn't know me very well. And um, he was giving us an example of what are called one-on-ones, which are, well, this, right? Right. Um, when you are an organizer, one of the many things that you do um, when you do what's called like a power analysis, like figure out what's the problem in the community, who's benefiting from it most. And then how do we agitate them around their values to either stop doing that thing or how do we uh, force them to stop doing that thing with the power of the community that is around them or things like that, right? So you meet with people in the community. You also meet with people in the power structure if you can. Um, And you do these things where one-on-ones and what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify what makes them tick. How do they work? How do they function? What are they about? And um, so he was demonstrating that uh, to us. And he asked me some very simple questions. And one of them was, do I have a lot of friends in high school? Do I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends in high school? And I said, no, not really. Well, how many friends did you have? <laughs> like three or four. Sure. Maybe. And how many of them were like close friendships? Two or three of them, probably. Okay. Who'd you spend most of your time with? My girlfriend. How long were you with your girlfriend? All four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I don't remember the other questions. He asked a couple of other questions that were not specific to friendships and that kind of thing. But then when it was over, he like then turned to the rest of the room and was like, so what we can divine about Spence is that Spence is a person for whom relationships are very important, um, for whom uh, frivolous relationships are not likely to occur, and um, who is likely to get very intense with you um, in whatever relationship you're in. Right, right. With him. Um, and all of that was stuff that had never occurred to me before. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, I guess that... But, but you know, as I thought about it... Because, you know, whenever you hear something about anything personal, it's like, does that apply? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Run it against, you know, other things. Like, is that bullshit? It's almost like, like oh, it's, it's reminding me of like having your tarot cards read. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I've never. No, I have. Actually. Have you? I have, so have, I actually yeah. have a friend who is has the uncanny ability to n- just exactly nail you, yeah. and 
that that is the that is that experience that's, that's what that experience. feels like and you, you know she she does these cards and you're just kind of like oh you know whatever it's a thing and then she starts talking and saying things about you and when she's done you're like wait is that what wow okay yeah. so that's me can i recommend an app there's an app for that there's always an app for that golden thread Golden, Golden thread. thread. Okay, that sounds. That's just. It sounds so lyrical. I want to use a some kind of a, a Eastern or Western European lilt in my voice. <laughs> the gold, golden thread. thread. Oh, with the the rolled R even. Oh, yeah. crazy. Thread, you say. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm gonna check. Yeah, I'm gonna check well, that out. It's called the Golden Thread. It better it's be it better be beautiful. Mm. But I mean that that experience is kind of like. All of a sudden, you get all this information about yourself that you haven't thought about before, or you haven't done that like self analysis before. Yeah. And then somebody just presents you with all this information, and it's yeah. kind of like, whoa. So it's like, all right, you know what you're doing with this organizing thing. I should definitely pay attention. But also, oh, I just learned something about myself that's like <clears throat> matters. Like, and so, you know, here's one way that that is made manifest. I don't small talk well. Mm. I can do it. I can hang, um, but I, but I am not likely to hang unless I, you know, either am trapped with you, like we're in a cab, <laughs> or um, if I'm really invested in you and I think it's worth it to do the work to get past all of that. Yeah. So you know, I, I. Um, I don't fancy myself a writer, but I do write, mm-hmm. and I, I I train myself in the writing process. I I have many mentors, books I read, videos I watch, things I listen to, articles, those kinds of things. Sure, um, you know, to get snippets and 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 chunks and 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 theories and stuff about you know the the craft, the art of, mm-hmm. of writing. And so, you know, one of the things that I got from a lot of different places and people is this thing of eavesdropping eavesdropping sure i think that that's important especially if you want to write well if you want to understand the swing of dialogue listen to people talk you know um not because you want to take what they're saying and put it on the page mind you but you just want to get the swing the energy the feeling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. so okay i have identified um some common areas of conversation at least in my uh, experience um Area number one, the weather. <laughs> that is what most people talk about. Well, now, I mean, back in the day, that's what that that's what Miss Manners taught us all, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, you can't think of anything to say. Just keep keep your comments to the weather. Like that's what you talk about. <laughs> now, I I I should be clear. The weather is a. Uh, that's a category of conversation. Yes. Sometimes that is about the literal weather, the rain, the right, right, sky, right. wind. But sometimes, you know, it's just sort of like, it's idle chatter. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, I woke up this morning and I, I wanted a sandwich, but then I decided I didn't really want a sandwich. I had some eggs. So long story short, I went to McDonald's and <laughs> got myself a, this thing and then some, <laughs> some of that stuff. And then I... I don't know. My shoe was untied and I didn't really need some new shoes. You know, have you ever been to this shoe store? Yeah. So that kind of stuff where right. it's just, a, this is not going anywhere. You're not passionate about any of this. I'm not 
interested in any of this. Right. This is just, you're filling space with words. And that's fine. Like, I don't have anything against it. But it's whatever. But in in terms of our observ, in, in terms of the, our science, yes, because this is for science, for science. <laughs> you know, um, that's just an area of conversation that I just find very often that people a mode of conversation that people often are uh, use more than any other. Um, very close number two, very close second, complaining. We love to complain. Oh yes, oh yes, we do so much yes so much sometimes that we even make up complaints yes. just to complain you know like stuff that didn't necessarily inconvenience us mm-hmm. but like it's fun to say oh my god why can't they just yep yep why yep. won't he just why won't she just oh if they would only uh this makes me so angry when this thing happens or that thing happens complaining we like yep. to do that yep yep um after that shop talk yes you know we, we, we enjoy that. Um, and then after that, it's, you know, philosophical conversation and everything, everything else just kind of falls in right. the general, <laughs> you know, whatever. But I, those are kind of the, the big three, I think. And, and it, it's, 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 it's a fascinating thing. So the modality that I am, um, that I like to be in mm-hmm. is that like third thing and and below and below and past (laughs) past all that other stuff i i want to get let's get weird yeah yeah what are you a nerd for (laughs) you know what are you into well i don't think i've ever had a conversation with you that was any of those things i don't think you do that do you do that I've never heard you do that. I, I mean, maybe with people I don't know that well. Maybe with people I'm At not comfortable point, with. I'm not sure. Very well. You never did that. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe you just didn't bring that out of me. <laughs> you were just like you were just like we're just gonna cut to the chase. Who are you? Let, yeah. I and wouldn't. and we just went from there. You know what do you give a shit about? Let's talk about that. <laughs> Food. <laughs> hey, I like food too. Hence the podcast. Hey, my wife's a chef. Hey, let's talk hey, about let's things. Talk about, yeah. What have you learned? We what do talk a lot about? about food. We talk a lot about art. We talk about puppets. We sure do. Yeah. I make puppets. It's a thing. It's a thing. I'm okay at it. I'm getting better. He's really good at it, actually. Aww. He makes really pretty amazing puppets. I am trying to like channel that thing, that spirit of like... All of those great puppeteers in history who 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 just wanted to inspire. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think that that's great. I want to do that. I want to inspire people. That's why I make the things that I make. And you know, the I, I respect the triangle of cheap, fast, and good. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't have a lot of the monies, so you know which two I'm choosing. Right. <laughs> you know, so a lot of my stuff comes out really slowly, but it's like, man, but. It, when it works, it's just it's this beautiful thing. Where it's like it worked, and and it's worth it. It's worth it's that time. Worth it. it's, Absolutely. You know, so I just try to. So you know, like I remember the first time I made a um like a completely from scratch puppet with a lot of elements and stuff. Uh-huh. All night long, I stayed up watching oh videos gosh. about Jim Henson and you know crafting, and um, I learned some stuff about Henson that I didn't know. And what is stuff about the children's television workshop that I didn't know? Um, complete side note. Oh, did yeah. I tell you that I met Jim Henson's daughter? Come on. I didn't tell you that? Come on. Okay, so you know the uh, Rough House Theater? Yeah. You know about them? Oh, yeah. yeah. So They're they great. so they host the um 
Nasty, Nasty Brutus, Brutus and Short. Short. Oh my god! Did you not realize Forte has been in Nasty Brutus and Short at least three times? No, you guys are nasty and brutish. You're we are. I mean, we're not short. super short, but but you can be. We take snippets, you sure. know. Yeah. Um, Brevity is a skill that you have. Re- <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong. <laughs> um, but oh they did god. so. Um, there at Lynx Hall, they yep. hosted part of the international. Chicago International Puppet, Puppet Festival, Festival. and our piece, Distant Flight of Birds, was asked to be a part of it. Dang. So it wasn't, it, we were part of the evening that was actually, it was a play on Nasty British and Short, but it was called um, Medium, no, what was it? I Something poignant and medium length. Something like that, yeah. It, I yeah. vaguely remember so getting it was, like a letter. It was a night of that, yeah. like medium length pieces that were part of the International Puppet so you're Festival. Saying that had I been able to figure my shit out and go and see that, I would have been able to see Forte rocking with some puppets. We well, we do we that piece is shadow puppets. Oh. So you know we do things big, right? So that particular piece has big giant hoop skirts. We have these big sticks that are part of our costume, but then they come off and they become other things like trees and, and forest and things like that. Sweet. Um we also in that piece we have these big wicker boats with sails and 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 lights so the opening number is these boats lit up boats are floating in the dark because we're carrying them but it's in the dark right and then we have these stands that we set them on and the shadow puppet show happens behind the sails of the boats so we did this whole piece there and um jim henson's daughter approached us because she also had had a piece in the festival but at a different location hers was a Oh, now I can't. I'm so sorry. Now I can't remember the name of the piece. But if you go into the Chicago Puppet Festival website and look at what the season was, I'm sure it's there. It was like the opening of the whole festival was her piece. And they had been her and her team had been working on it for a few years. And it was a fully, you know, self-devised piece like what we do. And so we had had a long ended up having this long conversation about the devising process. Mm. And I didn't know who she was at first. Yeah. She just was asking us these questions and like, wow, you guys are so great. Oh, she didn't even and... big time you or anything. She just, like, no, she you. just like asking asking us questions about what we do. And I just thought it was another audience member. Yeah. And then she got to talking to, to one of the other girls for a minute. And Amanda pulls me aside and goes, dude, that's Jim Hansen's daughter. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And she was like, yeah, dude, we're talking to Jim Hansen's daughter right now. She wow. was she was freaking out. But I mean, I just we kept the conversation the way it had been going. She asked sure. questions, we answered them, but she is a lovely human. Yeah. And then she let us take a picture with her. Actually, she asked if she could take a picture with us. That's pretty dope. Which was kind of ridiculous. That's pretty dope. Anyway, that's a whole side tangent. That's tangential. a wonderful kettle of crawdads <laughs> that I feel happy to dip my but- <laughs> ladle into. Did that metaphor work? Did that work? Sort of. Did that I think. Work all the way? I think. I think it Would worked. One use a ladle for a kettle of crawdads. I mean, usually they just dump them on the table. There's oh, no ladle involved. There's no ladle involved. Damn. It's just an overturned pot. <sighs> it was close, though. You know, my boss Damn. is gonna listen to this and be like, "Man, Man so close, so close." So close. But I feel like it's a good segue into going into <laughs> how. So I'm assuming that that early work that you did with, you know, shoving microphones in people's faces and things led you to what you do now. Very much so. 
So explain to our listeners mm. what it is that you do now and kind of how you I'm what led sure you to I that figured that out yet no um I, I mean you make film projects i have two paths this is the way that i describe it to okay you. there are two paths in my life i am a filmmaker and a film worker on the film worker path um i was a production assistant for many more years than anyone ever should be um <laughs> and then i managed to fall into the wonderful world of props and art directing uh so commercials right um, so that's my bread and butter and um, it's a way that I'm able to, because the whole point of that path was A, to make Skrilla, but B, <laughs> and more importantly, actually, to like learn the process and get like regular practice mm-hmm. in the collaborative aspects um, and, and the nuts and bolts of filmmaking, you know? Um, the other path, uh, the soul-nourishing path, and the thing that I hope to do in the world yes. um, exclusively is I'm a filmmaker. So, you know, um, I have wanted to do that since I was, I don't know, probably 18, you know, yeah. give or take. Um, and uh, I just, um, so I make, you know, music videos and promos and um, I'm working on some shorts. I'm working mm-hmm. on a couple of features. It's, you know, excellent. <laughs> that, that, that the features are a little bit further down the pipeline, but you know, the, the, the idea is to create work that is, that inspires and entertains and hopefully provides some kind of intellectual challenge. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, uh, I sit on the board of a, um, a production company in Chicago called Soft Cage Films, um, and uh, we what we do um, with Soft Cage is we make media that is about challenging um, things like racism and poverty mm-hmm. and the various uh, systemic. Or the various forms of systemic oppression that create the cages of our society. Okay. You know, um, and uh, so I guess I've been there for a year. It's been a year. I think it's been about <laughs> a year. Wow. Or if not, very near it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's what I do in a nutshell. I make puppets. I make music. <laughs> Um, I, uh, I make food sometimes. Yes. We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> you know. Oh, we will. <laughs> oh, we gonna talk about some we food. We gonna talk about some food. I mean, see, you know, again, I'm a fan. So, like, when, when you, when you were describing me, I was like, we have this thing called, what's your, oh, I know oh, about I know. what's in your pie hole. <laughs> I mean, I never want to assume <laughs> that who I'm asking to be on the show has listened to the show. Oh, oh no. Oh, goodness. But um, I, I am glad that you have. Um, that makes me happy. So, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. And writing. I've been I've been spending, a, for the last two years, I've spent a lot of time focusing on writing. I, I often say I don't fancy myself a writer. And that's not about, you know, either fishing for comments or false modesty or even selling myself short or any of that stuff it's really just about like 
I earnestly believe that like writers give their lives to writing, and I haven't really okay. done that. I, I get that. Nor do I intend to necessarily. I may. It could happen. It's possible. I could see it, but mm-hmm. at the moment, like I haven't really given my life to the craft of writing. So, so I, you know, but I have spent a considerable amount of time. I put in a lot of hours. Uh, both at the keyboard and um, and and also with my nose in the book or my ears in the thing or whatever, mm-hmm. um, trying to get down to what the craft is and how it works and and how to how to get there. Like I, I remember years ago, I was writing this story, and um, I was getting to this point where. You know, I'd written the whole thing and I'm doing tweaks and I'd given it to people and they gave me notes, which is a terrible way to do it, by the way. But that's what <laughs> I did. He <laughs> came to people. They gave me notes. I went back and changed stuff around. And the entire time, I'm like, why? What's not working? Something's not working. And, and I would think about Back to the Future because many things make me think of Back to the Future. It's of one, course. It's one of my five, my magic yes. five films, right? So I knew I liked you. <laughs> so, you know, you know those moments when Marty's like running to somewhere and then he stops short and then he looks at something and his eyes get all big and the music cues up yes. and then he runs in the other direction and yep. the music and then the camera cranes out and it's this great moment. I just described like 95 different moments throughout the trilogy <laughs> Back to the Future. But, you know... I remember at the time having this abstract thought, I want to create moments like that. How do you do that? Uh, no idea how you make those moments. What are those moments even comprised of? I just have to be more clever, I guess. But then a funny thing happened in the last two years. I've, I did some, I, I've done better research, you know, um, and I've learned that like good story we were talking about this earlier before we started recording. Good story is about conflict, specifically mm-hmm. forces of antagonism that um, that that make the protagonist that force the antagonist into making choices mm-hmm. under pressure, right? Like, you know, so what those moments are, you know, when when Marty. Uh, reaches up and sees Gray's sports almanac right there, right there and grabs it and his eyes get all big and then he opens it and ooh la la you know that is him I don't know where it is I only have the damn cover gone through a considerable amount of obstacles yes to yes. get to a very clear goal yes and when he finally got there through all of those efforts, he discovers that he failed and it was all for naught. Right. And now what the hell am I going to do? And that turn is, that's that's the magic yeah. of good, of consummate storytelling, you know. Um and, and and but the trick is knowing that is a really important part of the battle, not quite half, maybe about a quarter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, putting that into practice, it's a whole different animal. Yeah. But it is really helpful to know that that's what you're doing. You know, I remember um, in film school and people who have heard me talk before have heard me say this a bunch of times. I kind of evangelize it now. But <laughs> in film school, you know, you would hear a lot of like, 
well, why is that? Why is that a movie? What? Why is the thing that you're making a movie? Why does it deserve to be a movie and not a play? You know, and and at the time I'd be like, I don't know. Why is anything a movie? You know, can you give me an example of something that should be a movie mm-hmm. and why it is a movie? You know, and usually they would mutter something about, you know, uh, uh, making things visual and whatever, and walk away. And it's like. Yes, film is a visual medium. That's very true. Really, it's an audio audio visual. Yeah, but you know, um, that's not the thing that separates. Like, at least I don't think uh, good something that should be a movie from something that should be a novel or something that should be a play. Mm -hmm. It's the planes of conflict. So now I'm quoting Robert McKee, right? Okay. <laughs> one of my, you know, one of my folks. There's a long list of folks, and it's like Aristotle and Lisa Cron <laughs> and Octavia E. Butler and, and 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 James Baldwin. You know, like lots of writers who write about writing and you know and, and gurus and stuff and whatever. Um, Jake, uh, or I was about to say Jake here. Um, uh, 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 K. M. Wyland, she's wonderful. Mm. So you know, there's all these really great folks who talk about writing um, and talk about the craft, and you know, McKee is one of them who I adore. And he described this thing where it's like there's a plane of conflict for every medium. You know, like okay. for the stage, the primary plane of conflict is personal conflict because mm-hmm. in the when you're in the theater, you're listening. It's about language. So people who know each other gabbing it out and that's the plane of conflict that's the Mm -hmm. best plane of conflict to handle the play you can do other kinds but that's what they do best right in the novel they do internal conflict yes because they can't the mindscape you can go really far in the mindscape in a novel you ever read palinic (laughs) you know what i mean you ever read king (laughs) you know you ever read stein like you can really get deep into the head Mm -hmm. of a character you know or baldwin for that matter so you know um in a way that you can't quite so well on the stage on the stage on the screen, correct you know um you can do everything everywhere but the novel is where you best want to do that for a movie it's about external conflict you know the example that i like to give people who are younger than me and really want to know and ask me this question it's mm-hmm. like imagine if you will a cup across the room you're on the opposite side and visually we have shown that you are thirsty maybe there's a close-up on your tongue and we can see the buds and they're all dry Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) and you see that water and you lick your lips and now we know you want that water and what's kind of cool about it water is life that's something that literally every human being can relate to yes Mm, right so you put stuff between the person and that glass of water, right? There's a wildebeest on one side of the room. <laughs> there is a group of gangbangers on the other side. And there's a big fiery chasm that has just manifested in the middle, in the middle. of the floor. So wildebeests or gangbangers? You got to make a choice. You're thirsty. But, and you need that water because water is life. Right. What are you going to do? And whatever they do, whatever choice they make, there is a, a rhythm to patterning those choices. And there is um, there's something 
really interesting that happens in your mind as, as a viewer, you can already predict kind of what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to get that water. Mm-hmm. You know that already. How he gets that water, you have no idea. And that's what keeps you invested. That's what keeps you invested in the story. Absolutely. And that's what makes something filmable. When you have conflict that calls for all of these visual things. Right, right. You know, I didn't know that when I was in film school and no one told me it. This this isn't necessarily a knock on the film school necessarily, but it's just like the way that we talk about stuff. We don't talk about the component elements, I think, enough Mm -hmm. when we're educating in the arts, particularly in Mm -hmm. filmmaking. And so, you know. I think that's important. (laughs) No, I agree. I think that that, uh, you're right in arts in general. I think that it it does not, it never ends with school and it should never end with school. And if you think that you've learned everything that there is to learn in school, then you're, you've doomed yourself as, as an artist. I think that because it, it's really a lifelong process, but these sort of things like you just explained that you learn outside of school Sure, some of that probably could have been addressed while you're in film school. But do they hit home as much or would they have had you been told them versus you figuring it out as an artist for yourself? Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I would say that you're, where you're aiming at is absolutely right. I completely agree. Um I just wish that we had better arguments when we were in film school. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I wish, I wish that, like, early, 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 we were bombarded with, like, this is how a story works. Mm-hmm. These are the component elements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and if you need proof of that, name me a story that you think is a great one. Oh, The Godfather, Star Wars, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you, and then, and then and I then can describe you, to you, right, right, how all of those elements work, from the most complex story that you can think of, to the itsy bitsy spider, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. uh, you got an inciting incident, progressive complications, a crisis, uh, a climax, and a resolution. And that's so interesting you know? to me because in, in the opera world. You go and you get a degree in music. So you're in music school, right? But you're you're studying, basically you're studying vocal performance. You're studying opera. Mm. You're studying how to sing. So you're studying the mechanism of your voice, the physical mechanism. You're studying the music that's written on the page. You're studying the historical context. But no one ever really talks about the construction of the stories. Uh. And it wasn't something that, as a singer, that I even thought about until well after getting a master's degree. And then, and even then I think that I stumbled upon it before some of my colleagues only because I have a degree in theater from before, from before my master's. Does that make sense? So I, and it, it, honestly, I stumbled upon it through Forte because we work a lot in that, idea of what what makes the story Mm. what what are all the pieces that we need for this bit as we call it right well it it has to have a beginning middle and end but what are what is the structure within the middle how do you navigate that that? what makes it what makes it hit and what makes it not a good bit in the beginning right and in the middle and all of that stuff as as a singer you don't 
you don't always think about those things and you're not really taught to think about those things. You're taught to basically go out on stage to where you're told to stand and sing pretty. Yeah. And the rest of it is not, it, it, it's, it's changing now in the world of opera as far as people really want to see singers that can embody the story which I think is fantastic. And I think we need more of that because what's, what's the point otherwise? I mean, we're supposed to be telling a story just through, through music. And if you can't tell the story, you're just singing pretty notes. There's a lot of people that can sing pretty notes. There's not as many people right now who can tell you the full story oh my while God. singing those pretty notes. Oh my God, Angela. What? I'm not going to name any names because I have made a pact with myself that I'm never going to go on a podcast and say anything bad about anybody. So we'll talk That's about good... that when we turn the mics off. But okay. <laughs> there are some singers out there who are very popular singers. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've thought about this many times. Who like... There's all this technical proficiency. Mm-hmm. They can do all of these wonderful vocal acrobatics, but they don't have any sense of grounding in emotion mm-hmm. of any kind. Mm-hmm. So it's all the same stuff. Yep. One of these singers was in, I'm going to say, a musical Kay. and a very famous one. Mm-hmm. So we're going to keep it broad, keep Just it general. Keep it super broad. Super broad, super general. And it's like... This singer is singing stuff that's like really, really deeply like there's so much emotion in the scenes Mm -hmm. and there's so much emotion for that character. Like this particular character is going through a really tumultuous time Mm -hmm. in their lives, which in any good story, that's always the case. That's the case. Yes. But, you know, this one is one where it's, you know, there's a lot of pressure, like a unique amount of it. And um, they got to a scene where they had to sing through the darkest moment, Mm -hmm. the all is lost moment, as it's often referred to. Uh And it's like, they're just throwing all these vocal acrobatics around. And it's like, I mean, what are you feeling? Do you even understand what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what this moment is? Are you trying to communicate anything to me about that moment? Right. And that's the more important thing. Because if you didn't get it, fine. Make a choice about what it is. Make a definitive choice. Make it about that instead. Yeah. Like, I'm actually more interested, theoretically, in what you think it's about. Prove me wrong. Right. Make it about something else. But what this person did is they made it about nothing but how many ways they could uh, turn a particular I'm not going to use terminology because I don't know it well enough but (laughs) how many different ways they could like modulate their voice how Uh, how much vibrato they could use how long they could hold notes and stuff like that where it's just like it's so sad because when someone can use all of those tricks in the service of the emotion. Yes. In the service of the story. Right. It can be the most moving thing. Oh, it can be so powerful. It can be so powerful. But it has to be, yeah, it has to be used in that service. It's got to be used Otherwise, in it's just a bunch of pretty notes. It's just a bunch of pretty notes. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I, mean, I think that like, well, and I also think that like, you know, we underrate singers who are like 
good singers who don't necessarily have like the t- traditional capabilities mm-hmm. you know like i mean i think that bob dylan gets a lot of flack for being this bad singer and it's like i mean he can't, but i love bob dylan he can't do the cool stuff he can't but, but he did what he could do but he really well so there's so much emotion mm-hmm. in what he's saying you know Same absolutely thing springsteen there's so much emotion in what he's singing you know, it doesn't matter that it's not this gorgeous whatever. Right, you right. Know, it doesn't have to be. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Manamana. Well, I think uh, before we carry on for too long, oh, yeah. um, we should talk about food. <gasps> food. Because that's kind of what I do. That's kind of what this is about. That's kind of what, you know. That's the um, hearth part. That's the hearth part. The hearth part. The food. <laughs> so... All right, so let's dig in with the. Uh, tell me about your favorites. Oh, I love that you use dig in, by the way. That's good. <laughs> um, my favorite foods. So, yeah. um, I am so, so deeply in love with cheesesteaks. Okay. Um, I, I can. You know, they're just a thing that I, I can get on board with that. Have irrational love for. <laughs> Um, the first time I came to Chicago, I went to a place, uh, not the first time, I'm sorry. The first day we got here, uh, when we were going to live here. Right. Um, we went to this place called John's Garage, which I don't think exists anymore. It was in a mall okay. in Ford City, which is on the south side, south suburbs or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I'm probably getting the geography wrong. Sorry, Chicago. Um, but... <laughs> We had a, I'm using air quotes here, Philly cheese steak. Uh-huh. Um, now, at the time, I had never heard it referred to as such. It was just a cheese steak. So I thought, oh, Philly cheese steak. Right, Interesting. right. Okay, cool. Well, I've been to Philly, <laughs> so I will have your cheese steak. It'll be great. Oh, I love these sandwiches. And then they deliver this thing to me that's got like diced green peppers and mayonnaise and mushrooms <laughs> and all sorts of stuff on it that is just like... I've never seen one with all this on it before, but okay. So I put it in my mouth and it's like the bread's wrong Aww. and the meat's wrong and every like just everything about the sandwich is wrong. And it was like, I guess I'll never be home again. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the cool thing about food though, right? Like you can you can taste so much. Uh, it's this cerebral experience, you know? Oh, totally. I remember, like, walking home from school with my dad, you know, and I can't wait to get bite into that cheesesteak that we just got from this joint across the street from my school. Yeah. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, cheesesteaks. Love those to mm. death. Um, I, um, I have a signature dish that I make, um, and my wife likes it. Okay. I'm well, gonna, that's high praise. I'm going to toot my own horn and say my wife likes a lot of my food. Actually. Excellent. She, she enjoys my cooking. I don't do it very quickly. Eh. She doesn't enjoy that. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm faster than I used to be. Not nearly as fast as her, but, you know, faster. Um, uh, it's I, we, we just call it rice. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my friends have lovingly referred to it as Spence fried rice. And Spence fried rice. While I am just vain enough to tell you that i'm not quite vain enough to call it that regularly so, uh, okay gotcha uh, <laughs> to give you a sense of where i'm at on that spectrum right on the vanity spectrum so um the original uh rice worked like this slight small story 
Tell Feel it. free to cut me off if I get... No, you're you good. Know, I'm a chatterbox. Sorry, people. Don't put me on a podcast. It's crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so I, um, my wife and I went to a restaurant in Pilsen. It was a Mexican restaurant, kind of like a fine dining sort of joint. And I really wish I could remember what it was called. It was on 21st Street. Can't remember what it was called. I have a 21st or 18th. I think it was 18th Street. Anyway, don't okay. Point is, in there anymore. And we had like the best fried rice I have ever had in this Mexican joint. And it was just like, it wasn't a joint restaurant. Anyway. It was just like, wow, that's inspiring. And I think I can make this fried rice thing. And I love fried rice. So I went home and here's how my brain works. This fried rice dish that they had was like very simple, Mm. just sort of like rice. Um, There was cilantro kind of in with everything. Sure. But they did it right so that the cilantro didn't get all wilty and nasty. They did it at the end. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So it's just real tasty. Um, And so I thought, well, I'm going to do mine with soy sauce and sriracha. And I'm going to make a roast con gandules first. Okay. Yeah. So I made a roast con gandules. Um, And uh, for those who don't know, that's a Puerto Rican dish that's got rice and rice pigeon, and peas, be- pigeon peas and bacon yeah. and and it's um, delicious and it's delicious <laughs> i mean rice and pigeon peas and bacon and it's delicious i mean so you I, can't go wrong so i make a rosco gandules and then i take the rosco gandules and i pour it into a pan that has bacon grease in it um and I throw this some chicken working. thighs. This is in working there. for me. Yes, some chicken thighs have been <laughs> marinated for twenty four hours minimum in whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I change it up all the time. Okay, sure. Most commonly, I would say garlic and seasoning salt. Sure. Um, and then a little pepper. So marinate for twenty four hours, and then uh, we throw that in the in in the in the pan. We we cook all that up with some green onions, mm-hmm. um, some diced green onions, and uh, then when that's all done. We finish it with um, cilantro, tomato, and um, avocado, mm. thereby creating a kind of uh, deconstructed guacamole, if sure. you like. Yep. Um, squeeze a little lime on that bad boy and go to town. So Sounds delicious. It is delicious, but here's a problem. That's a lot of bacon grease. So That's a lot of bacon grease. You can't really have that more than once a year. So I decided... <laughs> <laughs> so I decided... But I really like this dish. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to sub out the Orozco Gondules for just rice, like basmati rice or something. Sure. And... Uh, I'm going to sub out the bacon grease for olive oil. Okay. And something really magical happened. Because that gets olive oil and sriracha, you know, and 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 uh, soy sauce. Okay. The dance that soy sauce and olive oil does on your palate mm. is unlike anything that I've ever experienced in any other context. It's just, it's delicious. Italy and, 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 and China. <laughs> coming together making world <laughs> peace in your mouth yes and mexico's invited and puerto rico's invited everybody's invited and thailand's there oh i love that and it's just this east west dish and nice. i love it and i make it a lot you know it's kind of, of it. that's kind of the perfect representation of restaurant workers mm. because i guarantee you that just about any restaurant including chinese and other asian restaurants you go into their kitchen, and who's going to be cooking? The Mexicans. Guatemalans. Very often. 
So that fried rice that you had was probably made at that Mexican restaurant by a Mexican who had probably learned how to make fried rice at a Chinese restaurant. Do you know what I mean? Like that this is sort of so like possible. Oh, you know what? The chef was trained at a Chinese there you by go. a Chinese chef. Right. Yeah. Man. It's something like 85% of kitchen workers in any large city are Latinx. Are That's, Latinx. That's so great. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I love everything about that. My favorite sushi place in Chicago is Lawrence Fish Market. Not to be confused with Lawrence's Fisheries. No, but I have had that sushi. Because you picked some up when Amanda and I came over to do that project with you. And you, that was good sushi. Made by Mexicans. Definitely. Of course. Of course it was. <laughs> they know what's up. They know what's up. And oh my God, it's so good. Um, sushi, by the way, is yeah, also one, one of your favorites. One of my favorite things in the universe. Are there things that you don't like? <sighs> or won't eat for whatever reason? I'm just fascinated by these, you know, people have these weird things. Like, you I don't know, like olives, and everybody thinks that's weird. Like I, I like... I heard as a as a youth, as a youth, a youth that uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for not committing to that. As a youth, um, <laughs> I learned that olives are an acquired taste, and I remember vividly deciding I will acquire the taste, and so I just like forced myself to eat olives all the time. And then it worked. Really? Yes. Yeah, so weird. But I mean, you know, you're young and when you're young, you're so malleable. Yeah. You, know, you put your mind to it. Lots I, of things are possible. You know, I That's learned, always true. But I learned to eat, to like a lot of things. Olives is just not one of them. I just committed to it. I don't even know why. No one forced me. No one even like was involved in this, Angela. This was like. It's just a I'm thing just, that you myself, just, I was just decided like, to do. I'm going to love olives. I'm just. I'm going to do going it. To love, I think I was really into <laughs> Popeye and olive oil's favorite food was olives. Okay. In some episode of that. Sure. Sure. I don't know what it is. My brain's weird. Did you eat canned spinach too? No. Oh, thank God. Because that stuff is horrific. You know, things out of a can in general are horrific. Um, I remember way back when um, you and Amanda did an episode where y'all were talking about spam. Yeah. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I think I'm ready to give spam another chance. <laughs> Angela is shaking her head and closing her eyes. No, no, um, I can't do that. it. I, I, I think you it. need that visual I think... to fully appreciate I, I, I respect. <laughs> I respect the the part that spam has played historically i respect the part that it plays culturally you know amanda's yeah. all over the spam she's all over the spam. that's it's a cultural thing and i respect that so and, and i need to hang out and have some spam that's i guess what's, what's, what's i just i can't put it in my mouth i can't do it <laughs> i was i have done I have had, it's not like I've never had it. Right. I have done, but I, I just, but if you, I have a choice, no. You, you have done, but you can't do. But I can't do. I can't, <laughs> no. I, yeah, I'm, I had it when I was like young, like a, like an early teenager, 13, 14, 15 years old, something like that. Uh, at that point it was mid-teenager, whatever. Math. Right. Um, so, uh, there was a certain point at which I thought like, Man, this is this is weird, but I think I like it. And then that wore off like kind of fast. But I was just eating it out of the can, you know uh -huh. what I mean? And that's not how you do no. it. Like you're no, supposed no, no, to no, like no. prepare it and do yeah. a whole thing. 
Um, I mean, you can eat it out of the can. That's the design. Like, right. It's not raw. So you, you can do that. Um, and, and some people do. Like you spread it on things and whatever. And <laughs> your response to all this is, is priceless. I'm so glad that we're talking about spread. <laughs> it reminds me. So when I was a kid, have you ever heard of deviled ham? Yes. It, it's, it comes in a little can. Yes. And the can is usually wrapped in a piece of white paper or something. It's got a little yes. dancing devil on it. <laughs> I, I have the visual is that what because the Joker meant by have you ever danced with the devil in the pale maybe blue, pale maybe blue light? have you ever had canned ham canned deviled ham I, I don't know what makes it deviled but it, <laughs> there's a little devil on the package my father used to buy that to spread on um, arepas which are a thing that we Ooh, yeah. you know we would eat those regularly I've talked about those um, multiple times on the show I only know about them because of you talking about because them of on the show right and I really want them I will make them for you sometime please um, but that was. It's hard to find now, this deviled ham, but that was a thing that he loved. Mm. So my father, by default then, is a spam fan. And yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. You but get it. he likes the spam. He, yeah. you know, They don't actively buy it. But once in a while, I remember I went home to visit my parents and I opened the cabinets to get something and there was a can of spam. And I was like, Mom, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> She's like, well, it, you what know, you sometimes doing? your father and I like it with rice. Oh, you know what? What you guys do when I'm not here is your business. I don't want to know about it, and I don't want to see it. You do you. You do you. Whatever makes you happy. Me. It's cool. It's cool. You know what it is. Um, so, so spam is not a thing for you is, anymore. It's not a thing for me, but I, but I'm like, I am spam curious. Okay. You know. All right. All um, right. Because here's the thing, like, you know, I used to dislike, my list is very short. Mm-hmm. I have a few friends in my life who have these long lists of things that they don't eat or won't eat or don't like. And I'm just like, yo, like, I mean, why don't you, you have as long a list as like someone who's gluten free or a vegan or something like that. Yeah. Like, that's just weird to me. Like, why? that's a lot of food that you, yeah. I don't get that. Like, unless there's either like a health reason or... Or like an ethical reason or something like that to cut food out. I'm just like, I'm not about that. I'm like, not about that just, either. I mean, eat the food. Eat As the, you know, we're very non-dogmatic around here. Eat the damn food. Just eat the food. Come on, man. So, you know, I used to not like Brussels sprouts very much. Um, and my my family members, my dad in particular, would be like, it's just like small cabbage. It's like, I don't like cabbage that much either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but I have come to learn that I really, really loves me some Brussels sprouts when they are cooked like fresh, uh-huh. like never frozen. Oh, yeah, no. Um, al dente. So there's still a crunch. Yes. Like that's how I roll with the sprouts. Do you roast you, them? I can, you can do them any way you want at that point. Like you can bake them, you can roast, well, don't bake them, please. Um, but you can roast them, you can fry them, you can grill them. Roasted in bacon fat. Great. Dope. So good. Ready. But you know what? Like when you make them that way, salt and pepper and oil. If yeah, you they want. don't need like, much. They don't need much. Like, yeah. In that in that form, so uh, so I so I'm good with those cabbage. Like I do like kraut, you know. I enjoy mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, I really like shredded cabbage, like r- shredded raw cabbage on yeah. things like artisanal tacos and that kind of stuff. Oh like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, really tasty. So those are like the two foods that I used to be kind of like nah. And then beets, like my wife loves beets mm, so I do much, too. and so I found myself having them often enough where I. Like, similarly to the olives but without it being a conscious thing I acquired the taste okay. so you know 
right now it's like I don't think there's any food left that I've ever had that I don't like. Oh, soft shell crab. I hate that stuff okay. so much. So much. I, I'm not I'm not Tripe. a fan. Oh, definitely innards. Not. Innards in general. See, I'm I'm okay with certain the term that's used in 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 the culinary world is awful. <laughs> and I don't mean like the A W the awful but it's spelled O F F A L. Oh, I've never heard that word. That that is the term used for basically organ meat. Oh. So liver, kidneys, yeah. heart. Yeah. I am not opposed to those. If they are cooked well, if they're cooked in the right way. Yeah. If they're cooked, you know, yeah, there, there are There's things. a Peruvian dish of grilled um grilled beef heart that is grilled beef heart. Copy that. Divine. Sweet. Um you know, pate, any good pate is made out of liver. Like, that's what pate you is. You know, and pate, I, I was thinking that. Mm-hmm. Get out of my head, Torres. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking like, you know, I, I've, I've had pate that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, it's not like my favorite thing in the universe, but you know, I can get down with some pate. I've had some that I like. I've had some that I don't. It just depends on what's in it. Depends on you what's know, in it. There's sure. a lot of varieties. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm... I, it's very difficult for me to discriminate and I will always try it again is the problem. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I will never just not eat something. Yeah. Uh, well, caveat, if it's moving still, probably not. <laughs> probably. Like I, I might, but probably like, you know, when people talk about bugs and stuff, it's like, I'm cool with like, I think it was Anthony Bourdain who brought up a really interesting thing that I'd never thought of before, which is that like in the far East, they get freaked out by the the notion of like cow's milk. Uh huh. Like we like yo, you eat what? What? Yeah. How much of it? Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> like it grosses so them. So who out. are we to get freaked out about so, them? Yeah. It, well, it's I mean yes, but it, it was more in the vein of like perspective is a funny thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, it's it, it's it's so much off. It's so much less about you being grossed out because it's gross. Than it is about you being grossed out because your experience is limited, right? You know, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that that informs your perspective. So you know, I. But when I think about live bugs specifically, it's just like I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't think I, don't I could know do if that. I could do it. I mean, I've had to limit my palate, so to speak, um, for health reasons. You know, so sure. there are a lot of foods that I don't eat anymore. That is sad. What's but, your favorite thing that you can't eat anymore? Um, probably like real spaghetti because I can have gluten-free spaghetti. Mm. But I mean spaghetti with proper bolognese sauce mm. because I can't do nightshades. I can't do tomato sauce anymore. Oh. So Also no peppers either. Right. Oh. Peppers, mm. tomatoes, eggplants. I can do potatoes, white potatoes in small amounts. Mm. For some reason, they don't affect me the same way, but... Tomatoes, especially in that concentrated sauce form, it's just, it, it's bad. It's bad. You know, I have, it takes me two days to recover from it. Oh. So it's kind of like this. Um, you can't even like have a little treat. Like I'm just going to do it. In, in the, so in the summertime when tomatoes are fresh, uh-huh. like if at work, for example, we have a, we have a couple garden plots and um, Cito, the co-owner, she will pick things and bring them into me. And then I cook with them if she brings in a handful of cherry tomatoes that she has just picked and they are still warm 
I'm going to eat some. (laughs) Chances are it might make me feel a little wonky, but that's not so bad as like, like a concentrated cooked sauce. Something about the sauce form of it, the cooking down Mm. of it, eliminating the liquid and just having whatever the concentration is of that nightshade. I will wake up feeling like somebody beat the crap out of me. Mm. Like, like, like I'm just one solid sore bruise and I have trouble moving I have trouble getting out of bed. It's just, it's bad. And it's not Did worth it. Did that not happen until you eliminated it? Like, your body was like, ooh, this is, stuff is gone. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And then when you reintroduce, it's like, no. No, we a, we no. That's exactly what oh, happened. interesting. And it took me a couple of tries with the nightshades to really understand it. That, that that's what's happening. Because I knew gluten is not, I don't get an immediate reaction. So I just know that I'm not supposed to have it because it has an adverse effect on the thyroid. So, okay, I get that. I can't have gluten. I should stay away from soy. Whatever. Those are just done deals. There's many other things I can have instead. So that is not such a big deal. But taking away my tomato sauce was something I had a hard time letting go of. So the first time I noticed it was a plate of spaghetti. I had made this really lovely homemade bolognese sauce with red wine and, you know, pasture-raised ground beef and pork, and it was just beautiful. And I had a big old plate of it with gluten-free spaghetti, and the next day I felt like I couldn't move. And I didn't put it together immediately. And until a few days, you know, I cleared up and I felt better, and then, like, the next week I ate something else... I think I made a curry that was a tomato sauce based curry. Same thing happened. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, okay. Dang. All right. This is a thing. Damn it. Dang. This is a thing. So unfortunately, my list of non-edibles has grown. Has grown considerably. But it's not because they gross me out. Because they're health Because I have just, yeah, I have very right. few things that like, I don't really like olives. Tripe is not a thing that I yeah, want to. Yeah, tripe like, yo. <laughs> All right, so I think every, especially like every black American person probably of a certain age, we have to put that in there because that's important, but of a certain age, I think every black American person of a certain age has either this story or know someone who has the story of like the first time they either woke up in the morning or whatever and mom or dad or grandma or whoever was cleaning um, uh, chitlins. Oh. I mean. Yeah. It smells just like actual poop. Yeah. That's just what it smells like. It smells like someone has pooped everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Like, what could that like I woke up and like, what could that possibly be? And why would I want to eat that? And then I found out what it was. It's like, why would I want to continue to the eating part of that? You know, and then I got a little bit of history lesson. Yeah. Is, okay, when you don't have choices, you, you make eat, do. You make do with you what you do. got. You put some yeah. hot sauce and you deal with it. You deal with it. Right. I, and I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> is that did I just did I just encapsulate the black experience in America? You put some hot sauce, you deal <laughs> you with, do it. with it. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get letters. You're gonna, you're gonna get letters. Sorry. It's Angela, all right. I you know what? It's worth it. It's that, worth it. You know so what? I think it might be true. <laughs> You know, and I think it might be true for just about any person of color because you put some hot sauce, you deal with. It. We do that too, us 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 Latinas. We do that too. You put some hot sauce on it. You, you put, put some, some, just add some more cumin. Put just put some, more cumin. Some, put some more cilantro. <laughs> squeeze the lime juice. You're good to go. You, you just deal with it. Juice. Yeah. You just put some lime on it and deal with it. Yeah. Um. Well, on that note, let us let's end with our my favorite segment, mm. which is what is in your pie hole. Word. 
Word. And everybody listening knows what this is about. What is your current food obsession? When it could be current today. It could be current over like the last week, the last month. It could be this moment. What is it that you want right now? Smoked fish. Ooh. I'm just like, there's this place called Hagen's. Uh-huh. It's an old, one of those old school Chicago fish joints that does fried fish and smoked fish. Nice. And I walk in there and it's just like, they got like their regular kinds of smoked fish they have. They have like three kinds of salmon. One of mm-hmm. them's garlic. It's like garlic, pepper, and like a whole combination of delicious things that uh-huh. put on this piece of this beautiful piece of smoked salmon. Um, they have a uh, barbecue, which is like a barbecue rub. Sure. That's also on a delicious piece of piece salmon. Piece of salmon. And finally, they have candy, which is like a brown sugar and other things uh-huh. that are delicious glaze. That is actually a, I have learned, a something that it was introduced to this part of the country from the West Coast Native Americans. Salmon candy in sort of like the Vancouver area, Washington over there, the um, tribes over there. Salmon candy, it's just a thing. It's just a thing that they always did. And so somehow we have learned from that. And now it's, it's spread across. So now, now we get from like first nations people. I know in this, in America, like it's, it's, it's massive. It's it's huge, but and the first time I ever heard about salmon candy, I was like, you know, I grew up in the middle of Iowa, Mm. so that salmon wasn't a thing, first of all, (laughs) and Mm. somebody talking to me about salmon candy, and I was like, why, why on earth would you make candy out of fish? I was so confused, (laughs) so confused until I had it, and then I was like, oh, oh, I get it. This is actually brilliant. This This is is actually delicious. One of the best things you could possibly do. So this place, do they, is the smoking process heat smoked where like the fish is like flaky, like when you cook fish, or is it cold smoked like lox? I think it's cold smoked. <sighs> but is it? Oh, that's that. I. Hmm. So the difference is usually how it looks. Okay. So if you're looking at the piece of salmon and it still looks almost raw, mm-hmm. like it's still got that that same color that's as a raw of, piece of yeah. salmon, that's generally a cold smoked. So it has it's cured with a salt brine. And that's the quote-unquote cooking like it process. Has more of like that kind of whitish pink that you get from a cooked kind of a. Sandwich. So then that's the heat smoked. I th- so I think okay. it's, I think it's the heat smoked. But now the next time I go back, oh no, I've got to go back to Hagen's sometimes. Oh soon. no. Oh no. Oh no. Whatever. What a will shame. I do? Oh uh, darn it! It's for, <laughs> it's for science though. It's yeah, for research. But I feel like I'm, I'm going to say ninety-two percent. It is flaky for sure, but it also has that kind of, it looks like it's been cooked. So, so yeah, so it's probably process. heat smoked, but I'm willing to bet they probably also have locks because no fishery they worth do. their they salt do definitely is not going to have, have locks. Yes, for um, sure. In fact, they did like a whole Lent special. Of course they, they did. For all of them, right. Of, of and that's one of my weird things is on. that I don't like locks, hmm. but I love smoked fish. Oh, heat smoked fish. Oh, it's okay. a text. It's a texture thing. It's, it's texture purely thing. a texture thing. Oh, that's interesting. But you do like sushi. I do like sushi. Is huh. that weird? Yeah. How's yeah. That I, go? I don't How's know. That work? Yeah. I keep trying to like lox. Is it because sushi generally has something else there? Probably. You know, like the seaweed and the and like. I've realized that I don't love sashimi. 
Generally yeah. speaking, I like it, but I don't like it as much. As much as, as like a roll. As the nigiri where there's the roll. Well, yeah. Rolls, it depends. Um, I tend to get very simple with my sushi. Like generally a piece of sushi wrapped in some um, seaweed on a bed of rice is like, that's my thing. Okay. That's, that's my stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, rolls, I'll get down with those and enjoy myself. But, you know, it's really that. that that's what I'm there for. So a chunk of just fish Pop it in my mouth. Yup, I'm down with that too, but not as but much. But that's, yeah, yeah. And so that's, maybe that's what it is though. I think that's probably what it is. And even then, like, I think when, when you're going into sushi, you're going in knowing this is, this is raw. This mm. has not been heat treated. It has not been acid treated. It has not been brined. It is just straight, fresh, cut off the fish. Mm. Cool. Like, you know, your palate knows what it's in for. Lox, I think, confuses my palate because it's mm. smoked and it's brined, so technically, chemically speaking, it is cooked. But texturally, it is not. Mm. And that throws me off, and I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't yeah. get down. I keep trying it, I keep trying. Folks, I am trying. <laughs> but every time I try it, my palate goes, nope, nope, this is right. not a thing that we the, like. But the, the section of the Jewish culinary community that's listening. That's listening. Like, no, I'm sorry, on. guys. I try really hard. <laughs> but I, just, I can't get down with it. But you give me some heat-treated, heat-smoked fish. Mm. I am totally down with that. Trout, salmon, white fish, all of it. And I will just flake that shit off and put it on a cracker. A gluten-free cracker, mind you. <laughs> a gluten-free cracker, mind And just, yeah. Um, but that's not what's in my pie hole right now. What's in your pie hole? What's in my pie hole right now is Greek-inspired flavors. Oh. So I'm really, right now, in the last week or so, I've really been down with feta. Yeah. But, like, real feta. Like, sheep's milk Actually, the one in my fridge right now is imported from Greece. It was made in Greece and imported. I got it at Costco, by the way. She's Guys, fancy. Costco has a She's great so deal on like a, it's like a big tub of slabs of this sheep's milk feta. It's a little funkier than cow's milk feta, but oh, it's so good. And with some dill and some cucumber, and I made this salad with like red onions, and I put some some lemon juice and some oregano and some olive oil, like a lot of olive oil and... I served that at Easter and people loved it. A lot of olive oil is kind of the recipe to everything. Everything that I delicious, cook, sort of. It's, I mean, it's just, it's it's very good. I do very much enjoy dill. I I don't cook with dill with confidence mm. when I'm not looking to make something that is like a big dill first flavor. Yes, yes. You know? um, I don't ha- quite have the art of how much dill do you use when you just want it to be an accent and not. Yeah. The star of the yeah. flavor show. It's tricky because it's a strong flavor. It's a very strong flavor. I generally also use it when I want that flavor to read. Yep. However, sometimes I have a, a salmon dish that I, it's not mine. I stole it from Mary Shenuda. The great ones steal, the good ones borrow. She is known as the paleo chef. Um, but she she is part Egyptian, I believe. Hmm. And she so she, the, the flavors that she comes up with as a chef to me are always surprising because they're not flavors that I would think of not having that background that she has. So I'm always excited to see what new stuff she's posting because and then I try it at home. But she uh, posted the salmon recipe where you put spices like so you put your salt, pepper just on like a salmon piece of salmon filet, salt and pepper and paprika. And I like smoked paprika. So I put some smoked paprika, Same here. garlic, you know, granulated garlic cumin 
So, I mean, she's got me there. Cumin, I'm, I'm there, right? Yep. Then she puts a big spoonful of ghee on top. What is ghee? Ghee is, it's like clarified butter. So oh. you've taken the, the, the milk proteins out and you're left with just the fat part, the oil. So mm. it's more tolerable for people who can't have dairy. What's the flavor difference, would you say? It's a little nuttier because you have to cook it to get the the, the fat out or the, the protein out, the milk proteins, if that makes sense. Yep. And sometimes when I make it, I let it go a little longer than it should on purpose. So it's like a brown nutty color. So it tastes like brown butter. Yes, oh. real good. It's real good. Yeah. But it also has a higher absolutely. smoke point. So you can saute with it and stuff sure. and you don't have to worry about it burning. Oh, so you could if you want to bring butter to the party when you're doing something like fried rice, for instance. Exactly. That's how that's, that's how you can do that's that. That's how you stamp that particular invitation. Exactly, exactly. So she puts that mm. on there and then she tops it with coconut butter. Right? Uh, yeah. He's got a confused look on his face, which is exactly I, where I went the first time I saw it. <laughs> Wait, and then I'm not done. Then she sprinkles dill on top of that. Just a little sprinkle. A little sprinkle, sprinkle. And then a squeeze of lemon or lime juice. And then you put that in the oven for about eight to ten minutes until the fish is just done. Yeah. And then you eat it. And yeah. I tell you what, that is the best fucking thing I have ever eaten. I mean, I feel like there's going to be those bright floral aspects of, you said lime? Lime. Juice? So you're going to have or some lemon. You're going to have stuff. some, that's going to hit you first, but then you get this the creamy depth of the coconut butter. Yeah. But the dill is just an accent. Yeah, the dill's just nice. And it works, and it's a beautiful because thing. Because those other flavors are kind of dill adjacent. Uh-huh. You know, like the, with the lime, you're going to get a little bit of that green. I always, I always call it green flavor, which <laughs> means nothing. No, but, but it makes sense. I feel like we know what we're talking about. I know exactly what you're that, talking you know? about. Yeah, yeah. So you have that kind of green flavor from the lime that like maybe slightly overpowers, or maybe not overpowers, but that... That, that takes the lead mm-hmm. um, so that that allows the dill to kind of fall in line behind that. Oh, man, that, what's it called? What do you call that dish? She just calls it coconut butter salmon. Coconut butter salmon. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Done. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So that's it's one way to use your dill and not have it be the lead of your I'm going to listen back to this episode and write down <laughs> all of the things that you just said. And, and try it. Try to make try that it. Thing. It's amazing. It's the only way I make salmon anymore. It's so good. It's so you good. mentioned in another episode, I don't remember which one, this thing where you have a kind of ritual when you cook things that are from other cultures, where you try your best to follow um, as closely you can the recipe mm-hmm. from the culture as a way of kind of communing with that thing yes with 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 those people and respecting the tradition from which the dish came forth before you start messing with it which Mm -hmm. is such an intriguing idea you know as a as a as a general practice we're not we're not always a very respectful people americans yeah and i think that like while something like that could seem very unnecessary you know like why why don't you just it doesn't matter it's your kitchen but I think that that practice um, is a way or could be a way of really bringing mindful respectfulness into our lives. Absolutely. And manifesting it everywhere. And I think for me, that's what that's what cooking is all about. That's what feeding yourself and others is all about. Mm. It's not just about the food that you're putting in your face. And it's not just about the fact that, oh, I have to cook something so I can eat something. 
it's about honoring the people that came before us and their stories and their struggles and the the time that and the care that was spent in their kitchens feeding their families and their loved ones and so anytime i i take someone else's recipe whether it's a cultural thing or not if it's not a dish that i'm familiar with i'm gonna make it straight up Mm. first because that person took the time and effort to put it on the page and share it with me. Ooh. So, and that needs to be respected. And I would hope that it, you know, when I put a recipe out there, if I'm making an exact science of it and saying, you need this much of this, this much of this, I hope that people would make it my way first. Mm-hmm. See, because then you see where I'm coming from and who I am as a cook, right? Then you can put your own spin on it. Yeah. And then, and then we're it's like we're doing a dance, the right? Hearth and the soul, the hearth and the soul. Oh, and on that note, I think we'll end it there. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Yay! I appreciate you. And we'll catch you all on the flip side. Peace.